Hello, this is Grad School Grad, a podcast about public policy and international relations graduate programs in the United States. Well, this is a little bit bittersweet, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be my last episode. Um, I'm really glad it made a lot of impact. I get uh, thank you notes here and there, and it's, and I really appreciate it. it can help change people's lives and help make them make essentially really big decisions about their future. But um, I want to move on to some other podcast creations I may have and in uh, this on in this in this straw. Um, and kind of parallel in the theme of ending, I want to end this uh, series to essentially tell the story about how my passion for public policy ended. And the big takeaway is that what is academically popular and unpopular matters in terms of how much support you get or don't get. Um, and how popular uh, something is academically is interestingly divorced from how much we need as society, as a human need or human interest. But also very interestingly, um, it's also divorced from economics. By that I mean, uh, if there's a market for an audience for such research, or if there's a financial value of a solution, um, you know, a lot of times that does not drive social science research in a topic. And I don't want to get into the details of what makes something academically popular or unpopular, but I just want to highlight that such things exist and that could determine um, how much support you get for your research or how little support you get for your research. So this topic became top of mind because um, when I was traveling this winter, I saw that um, there was a book that came out by a, a, a researcher named Dr. Richard Reeves, and the title was Of Boys and Men. And this is interesting to me because everything he um, wrote about his book was essentially stuff I wanted to research but wasn't really um, able to. So the general premise of the book is that the struggles of men are underappreciated in society um, because focusing on men a lot of times uh, is seen as taking away attention from um, developing solutions for all the troubles, issues that women face. Uh, but the solution is you know, not to think of it as, hey, you're taking away attention, but we need to think of new ways to identify what are solutions to make men achieve again. Um, because there's legitimately a lot of underperformance in male society in terms of how men are doing the job market and the education arena. So Richard Reeves is someone I actually pay attention to for his research on socioeconomic inequality. Um, and he did it in terms of class and race. And actually, one of the reasons why I started my uh, MPP degree was that, you know, I wanted to research why schools are underperforming. And reading his work really inspired me. Uh, but as I like read his research and that of others, I just realized um, that some of the worst performers were boys. A lot of times boys from uh, lower social economic circumstances. So, you know, that's why I chose I wanted to focus on education policy, going to MPP school, and also uh, focus on the struggles of men in education and the labor market afterwards. But as soon as I started public policy school, I realized I really struggled to find help uh, with people within the university who would really give me guidance on the topic. Um, 
part of it was that no one really knew anybody who researched MIT uh, in terms of their education, labor activity, in terms of underperformance. Usually it's about um, men doing something that took away opportunities from others or uh, men relative certain types of men versus other men, but just men from a perspective of underperformance, not really that re- well researched, or at least uh, not holistically researched at the time. But then another part of it was that there really wasn't much faculty research, uh, pardon me, faculty interest when I told them my interest was to research struggling men in education. Um, among my peers, I actually got made fun of a lot. Um, so by and the, part of this is because um, the school I went to was about 65, 70% female. And they would just be like, oh, there's some guy researching men when he should be focusing on women. And, you know, this is, uh, there, there were situations where um, I went to the women's affinity group. And I, every everywhere I've been every, along my career, I've been supportive about women, uh, progressing career, been involved in women's affinity group. But, you know, this, I, in my public policy school, my women's affinity group pretty much told me that they did not want me to participate, be an ally. Uh, for, first, because they didn't want any men there, period. But second is that they thought that my research topics were not anything they cared about. Um, interestingly, I did eventually find an academic who was not my university, who had a niche of researching uh, male achievement, or should I say underachievement. And I met her for coach and guidance, and she actually spent a lot of time warning me that it'd be difficult to research male underperformance, and that I would get backlash from essentially predominantly female-dominated uh, education policy uh, community. You know, after I got that feedback, I mean, I thought about it for a few weeks, and based on the reality. Um, I looked, looked at all the barriers I would encounter, lack of support, hostility from other researchers, hostility from my peers. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing education. I'm not going to focus on male underperformance, uh, in terms of research. I'm going to shift my policy interest to technology because with technology, at least I could have support, do research and graduate. Um, now, but it's a little bit of shame because what a piece of society that's really important was not dis- discussed, was not highlighted. And to this day, I don't think I could realistically have researched male underperformance and done a good job of it, given the lack of support uh, I had. And ultimately, I commend Rich Reeves, and um, the link to his book is in the description, but he took a brave and gigantic step to as the first at least the first major researcher i know to take a stand and say hey uh male underperformance is a major issue and it should not be controversial as we make it out to be so you know ultimately as i think as a country we as the united states lose a lot if we ignore men in the so many ways we do um so macroeconomically there is simply underperformance in our economy because men are struggling post COVID, uh, on average more so than women in terms of employment. Uh, politically, I would argue that a lot of instability in American politics come from, 
uh, unmanaged male angst tied to uh, underperformance in terms of education and labor. Uh, healthcare, it's not surprising that some of the worst hit areas in America uh, that are hit with addiction are places where there's a high disproportionate amount of male job loss. And then socially, the fun reason why everyone should care about male underperformance is that women complain about the lack of men today in college. Um, you know, part of the reason is that more women than men are going to college, and it's been that way for a few decades. It's actually coming to the point that, with a few exceptions, mostly engineering schools like Caltech or military academies, almost all colleges in the U.S. have more women than men because they're simply less qualified male applicants um, than female applicants. And you know, schools that don't artificially gender balance can get, have gender ratios as high as two to one, female to male. And schools that do gender balance and sometimes struggle to go under 55% uh, of women. So, you know, all the single ladies out there, hey, your life would just be easier if you didn't ignore uh, male underperformance in America. And now these are things that I saw I people talk, talk to me about, and I wanted to research. But I went, to, I went to policy school to kind of do that. And I wasn't supported, and... I had to evolve to survive, to graduate. And again, I tell this story um, not to be Debbie Downer. I tell a story kind of like as a smart uh, warning to be aware that in grad school, any grad school and public policy grad school, you can do lots of things. Um, but at a certain point, um, it's hard to get things done. Hard to, hard to make the strides, hard to get the job you want, hard to do the research, hard to graduate if the school won't support the resources in the school aren't out there to support you. For everyone who's going to public policy school, I hope you get the support. Um, I, I hope, uh, you know, you research things you like. I hope you get the chance to research whatever you want. But I want to highlight that Public policy school is still academia. And a every now and then, you'll be, if you're researching something that is not ac popular in academia, you might have a rare researcher to reach out to. Um, I might be help, able to help you, give you a bone, and make a difference between you following your public policy passions or not. But in my case, and in the case of others I knew or know of, um, it just wasn't so, and we had to evolve to survive. And ultimately, I just want people to be aware about is their public policy passions might die really quickly when they go to policy school. And you have to be prepared emotionally, um, logistically, and everything to evolve to survive. Um, and that's just the fact of life. I mean, there's still other ways to make impact, but hey. Um, and I'm just glad that someone is else or I'm glad Richard Reeves, a prestigious researcher like Richard Reeves, is taking in uh, taking the mantle that for a topic I cared about, or I was at least very passionately interested in. So on that note, um, for all those who have grad school dreams or in grad school or an alumni, hope wish you the best. And thank you so much for listening to the show and uh, this program. Farewell and have a great day.